And amen. I don't know if I've ever said this. I wish I could sing. <laughs> Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The truth matters. The truth matters. Now, that sounds like a given. That sounds like maybe an unnecessary thing to say, but we better be sure and say it this morning. The truth matters. We live in a day now, we live in an age where the idea of truth is being deemed as narrow or ignorant or outdated or somehow unnecessary. We, we live in an age where being uh, politically correct, we believe we have to accept all things as truth, and that's what's told to us today. That's what's represented to us today. Maybe you hear folks say, well, this is my truth, and I want to tell you my truth, and at the same time, they're interested in hearing your truth or somebody else's truth, and we act like they can all be true. They can all be right at the same time. We live in a day, in fact, when the worst thing you can do, the most unkind thing you can do is question someone's truth. And if you do that, uh, you're deemed judgmental and unloving, and it's a rude thing to question what somebody says is truth. I've decided this year, and it's happening over and over again, I've decided uh, it is like we are living in the story of the emperor has no clothes. Remember that story? It seems like we're living in that story. Maybe recently you've watched the Olympics. I was watching the last couple of weeks, and there is a man that shows up. He's from the Netherlands, and his truth is that he is a woman. And because we have to validate his truth, that's what our culture says, that man competed for the very first time against women in powerlifting in the Olympics. Now, uh, we can see he is a man. Go look at his picture. You can see he is a man. He knows he is a man. Uh, the announcers, they can see. They know he is a man. I'll just tell you mainly because he is a man. But watch that. They are stumbling to call him a her. They're stumbling to say, good job. What a great lift uh, to her. His name is Gavin, and yet we have to call him Laurel because that is his truth. Friends, I want to tell you, that is absolutely crazy. Well, as crazy as that is, that is the sign of our times. That is the sign, that is the condition of the day in which we are living in. And we need to be very sure today, as we move into this study, as we move into this gospel, we need to be very sure the truth matters. The truth matters. And only the truth is true. And therefore, anything else by default is a lie. The truth matters. Now, nowhere is that as important and as vital as when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this morning, I am convinced that is what all this is about. I believe Satan is behind it. 
And I believe if he has made us as a culture accept that there is no truth and that all truth is relative and that truth does not matter, if he can get us to that point, then we will neglect and we will overlook the truth of our Savior. And when that happens, the gospel is cast off as an outdated superstition of the past. Isn't that what's happening? Well, there's no truth. We can't know truth. You might have a truth and somebody else might have a truth and we can't talk about what really is truth. And in the midst of that, the truth of a risen, resurrected Savior is cast off as unneeded and unnecessary and outdated superstition from the past. Friends, listen. The truth matters because Jesus is the truth. Today our message is entitled, The Truth That Saves. The Truth That Saves. Today we're in John chapter 1. We're going to go, the verse we looked at last night, verse 1, all the way to verse 5. John chapter 1, today verses 1 through 5. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. God's Word says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, we're thankful today as a people. We're thankful for the joy we have in Christ. We're thankful for the the salvation that we have through the work finished in Christ. We're thankful that as we saw last night, we have hope today. There's good news today in the midst of all this mess. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us your word to teach us, to train us. We're thankful that you give us the word Jesus we would be forgiven, that we'd be saved, reconciled unto you. Lord, I pray now, as we begin to study, I pray that you would speak. I pray it would not be a normal event, but it would be a supernatural event, as the living God would speak through his living and active word. I pray that you'd remove any hindrance, any barrier to our hearing. I pray our hearts would draw closer to you. I pray for some, and, and maybe many in this service, maybe many in the hearing of this message that do not know you, I pray that today in the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of the gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we truly do worship you. We truly do seek to exalt you and hold up your name. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Yesterday, we started into the good news according to John. And that's what this gospel is. It is the good news according to John. Now remember, the apostle John is making clear this is the gospel. This is the Savior, Jesus, of that gospel. He wants us to know it. He wants us to be sure of it. He wants us to know we can have confidence that this is the gospel, this is the truth, this is the Savior of that gospel. You can believe it, and you can believe in him because this 
is the truth. Look around today, and I will tell you, you know what's wrong with churches today? Do you know why churches are powerless today? And that seems to be what is happening in our world today. It's not saying they're not popular. Some churches are vastly popular. But why they are powerless today, it is because they are compromised on the truth. And I believe that. You can do all the things and you can have all the fancy stuff and you can put in all the programs, but there is no power in the church because we are compromising on the truth. We are not holding up the truth, the truth of God's word and the truth of God's word, Jesus. And so you look around today, the world is creeping in. We see it all the more that the false teaching is rolling in to the church and you hear such nonsense today and the false teaching is just rolling into our pulpits. And the church has given over its role as the pillar and the defender of the truth. And listen to me. The truth matters. So John is saying, John is writing here to tell us here's the truth. You can know the truth. You can be confident in the truth. According to God himself, this is the truth. Now, also remember yesterday evening, we see that John starts by showing us the good news. The gospel starts with Jesus because Jesus is the good news. Now, that sounds like a simple thing. It's actually a very profound thing. He starts his gospel, and within five or six words, he's already brought us to Jesus. The gospel starts with Jesus because the good news is Jesus. And that's what we saw yesterday evening. Jesus is the issue because Jesus is the message. And so very simply, if we're going to understand the gospel, we have to understand it is the good news of Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And so then there is this question. Who is Jesus? The question of the ages, who is Jesus? That is the question. Now, I think it's interesting. I think it's also very profound. This is what John addresses first. He's going to tell us the account. It's going to be an awesome journey. But he starts with the truth of this is Jesus. And that's exactly what he does in his lead-off discourse in these five verses. And so let's go back to our verses this morning and get our answer to the question, who is Jesus. In these five verses, John is going to tell us the answer to the question, who is Jesus? All right, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Now remember from last night, it's the word logos. It is for the Greek here, it meant the force of creation, the source of wisdom. For the Jew, for the Jewish here, it was the power of God, the wisdom of God. And the Apostle John takes that already complex word, that already multifaceted word, and he uses it for Jesus. He is referring to Jesus. When you hear word, it is referring to Jesus. And so the first part of the answer, who is Jesus, John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word. Now for this verse and the next verse, 
we're going to need to understand that verb was. Follow along right here. It is the Greek verb, listen to this, I am. I am. Remember when Moses all the way back in the Old Testament said, who shall I tell them has sent me? If they ask your name, who shall I tell them your name is? And God said, you tell them that I am has sent you. Well, interestingly enough, this is the Greek verb, I am. It is in the imperfect tense describing continual action past. It is in, in the imperfect tense describing Continual action passed. Now, that's hard, and so let me explain it to you in Route 2, Vernon language. Here's what it means. It means was, 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 and was some more. That's what it means. Continual action to the past. Now, that's from Route 2, Vernon, Texas. It means was and was, and then was some more. And so John starts answering the question, who is Jesus, by starting in the beginning, at the event of creation, Jesus was. Now stay with me. What that means is Jesus is eternal. It means that Jesus exists eternally. And it means this, if you can find a point where Jesus exists, he was before that. And if you can back up and find a point where Jesus exists, he was before that. And if you could somehow get earlier than that, if you could get back before that and find a point where Jesus exists, he was before that. And so it is saying he is not created. He does not have a beginning. He has no start. Jesus, the word, is eternal. That's what it says. He was, and he was before that. Jesus is eternal. Do you start to see where the false ideas of Jesus already start to fall away? The Mormons say that he has a start. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that he has a start. Do you see? That's why the truth matters. Who is Jesus? He is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. All right, he goes on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was with God. Now, this phrase is just as awesome, and it is just as deep. In the original language, it means in fellowship with or facing one another. The most literal translation means face to face. Now, understand this is huge in developing our understanding of the truth of the Trinity. Here we see Jesus, and here we see the Father, and they are in communion. They are in fellowship. They are face to face. Now, what this means, it has a deep meaning, even deeper than that. It means Jesus is equal to God the Father. He is not less than God the Father. He is face to face, co-equal with God the Father. Goes on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. Now remember that verb again. It's the continual action pass. 
is saying here, Jesus is God because Jesus was God. And there is no point ever that he has not been God. And so it's the same analogy. If you ever find a point that Jesus exists as God, he was God before that. And if you ever find a point where Jesus exists as God, he was God before that. And you can just keep going back and you can keep moving that direction. If you can find a place where Jesus is God, he was God before that. Was, was, and was. Folks, in plain language, here's what he's saying. Jesus is God. He has always been God. He will always be God. Understand today the truth matters. He is not a lesser emanation of God. He is God. He is not like God, as some would say. He is God. He's not a man who became a God. He has always been God. He is not just containing some of the the characteristics and the attributes of God. He contains all of them because he is God. Do you see why some of the false teachings about Jesus start to fall away? He is and always has been God. Now let me add in verse 2 now. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. Now it seems like a restatement, but I want you to see fully what John is saying here. Who is Jesus? The question of the ages, who is Jesus? Jesus is the message. He is the good news. That was last night. Jesus is eternal, without a beginning. Jesus is co-equal with God the Father. Jesus is God. And now here in verse 2, at creation, from the start, Jesus, he has been in fellowship with, in communion with God the Father as co-equals. Listen very carefully to this. Our God is a Trinitarian God. And Jesus is an individual, a co-equal, individual part of the Trinity. He is God. He is fully God. He has always been God. And any other teaching of Jesus is not our Jesus. It is a lie. Modalism. T.D. Jakes in Dallas, he teaches modalism. Says that God exists in different modes, not distinct coexisting individuals. He doesn't believe in the Trinity. Oneness. Maybe you hear about oneness, Pentecostal churches. Oneness, it is very similar to that. It says that God manifests himself in many ways, but not as three coexisting distinct Individuals. Now, there's other teachings as well, but friends, we need to be very sure the truth matters, and any other understanding of Jesus is not what God has revealed. It is not the truth. It is a heresy, and it is a lie. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. He's coexisting throughout all eternity with God the Father. And that is the word... Jesus, the good news himself. The truth matters. The truth matters. Let me encourage you, especially in these days, especially with the the climate we have right now, don't fall for that close enough is good enough mess. 
Well, we, 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 we disagree on a few things, but most of these things are okay. But you know what? Jesus doesn't have to exactly be this. Or maybe he could be this. Or maybe he could be another understanding. Don't fall for that. Well, they use some of the same words and language, and it seems like close enough is good enough. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We all want to get along. Don't fall for this nonsense that it's all the same in the end. I hear that. Well, it's all the same in the end. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something, as long as you're headed in that direction. Don't fall for that. Listen to me, friend. If you miss Jesus, you have missed it all. And so the truth does matter. The truth matters. Verse 3. And All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Let me read that verse again. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The word all here is from the Greek word pos. That's the root word. It means every. It means the whole it means none are missing. And so what it means, all means all. It says all, it means all. And so John, when telling us who Jesus is, says that all things came into being through him. That's what he means. All things came into being through him. Every single thing, Jesus, the word, is responsible for its creation. Now what that means is he's the creator. He is the agent of creation. Where the Greeks heard that word and they thought logos, they think of the force of creation. Now John has narrowed it down and says he's not only the force of creation, he is the God of creation and he's talking about Jesus. Now to reinforce it, John flips it around and restates it the flip side. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything is created. Everything has its start in Jesus. Now, what is John saying right here? Remember the tie back to Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, those original readers hearing John, they would have gone back there, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 3 Jesus is responsible for creation. Once again, he is God. Now, there's so much to that. We could go here for another couple times. But understand today, as creator, who is Jesus? As creator, he's not created. As creator, he is powerful, possessing the power to create. That's Jesus. He is powerful, possessing the power to create. As creator, Jesus is wise, possessing the wisdom of a perfect creation. When you see the, the, the perfect creation that he starts with, we understand Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, is wise because of the wisdom of a perfect creation. As creator, here it is once again, over and over, he is truly God, and so he is worthy of worship. I can keep going, but I want to say this. There are a growing number of people, preachers, pastors, schools, churches, 
that are saying today, creation is not a gospel issue. That's what they say. I guess they're scared to address it, but they say creation is not a gospel issue. And they say, you go back and you read that Genesis account of creation, you can take it, you can leave it, it's there for information. Or they come along and say, you know what, it's allegorical, it may be symbolic, and we just have to find the symbolism in it. Or they say, you know what, it may be just some ancient human tradition, and so we've got to accept that that's what it is, some ancient tradition they got somehow put into Scripture. And they come along and they say, but it doesn't matter because the creation account is not a gospel issue. Well, let me tell you this morning what John is telling you. He is telling us in his word, friend, the truth matters, and God's word is truth, and if you can't believe the truth of Jesus and the creation account, you're going to mess up, and you're going to miss the truth of Jesus and his resurrection and our salvation account. The truth matters. Creation absolutely is a gospel issue because all of God's word is a gospel issue. It all points to Jesus. Moving to verses, verse 4. This is my favorite part. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about that. Who's the word? Who's Jesus? In him, in Jesus, in the word, was life. And the life was the light of of men. I'm going to go ahead and add verse 5 to it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now stay with me. Follow with me. The best part of the whole sermon, I believe. In verse 3, Jesus is the creator of life. Now in verses 4 and 5, Jesus is the giver of spiritual life. In fact, he is life. And John, so beautifully describing Jesus, says that that life, Jesus is life, it is life, and that life is the light of men. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here. Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. Now, think about that. What does light do? Light dispels darkness, always. There's no case when it doesn't. Light dispels darkness. Light drives out. It is the remedy for darkness, always. That is always what happens. And so John says here, as spiritual life, Jesus is the light of men. He is saying Jesus is the remedy for our evil. Jesus is the remedy for our sin. Jesus, as the light, he defeats the darkness of sinful people. He defeats the darkness of our sinful hearts. John chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to get there in about a month. Listen to Jesus. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He's the life, and the life is the light of men. I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Here's what he promises. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. Now, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this, but I can't help myself. I'm about to give away the best part of this sermon. I'm about to tip my hand to the ending of this sermon. What he is saying here in these verses, what he's saying in the fourth verse is this, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's what he's saying. He is the life, and as the life, he's the light that drives out darkness. He's our remedy for sin. Jesus saves. The last part of verse 5. I'm going to read all of verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines, Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, the word, the key here is the word comprehend. It doesn't mean understand as we would think. It means Overcome. That's, that's what it literally translates. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness, listen to the words, did not overcome it. John says that Jesus came into a dark world. God, in the person of Jesus, he comes into a dark world, humbles himself taking on human flesh, and he comes into the dark world, a sinful world. Get this, this is good. In these words, did not overcome it, John gave away his great ending as well. I want you to see this, follow with me. Did not, the darkness did not Overcome it. Now we're very soon into this gospel. We're very soon into this account. We haven't heard a whole lot of the, the historical facts that are going to unfold before us, but very early he already has said, did not overcome it. Now I want you to see what's happened here. This is awesome. John writes the beginning already knowing the end. And that's what happens here with these words. That's what pops out here in these words. He writes the gospel. He writes the beginning, already knowing the great end. And so it says here, did not. Listen, understand what I'm telling you. John knows the cost of sin. John knows the shame of guilt. John knows the brutality of men. He saw the word Jesus, his friend stretched out onto a cross. He saw the nails that were driven through his hand. He saw the blood as it ran down his body and pulled there around the base of the cross. He saw him as he, as he fought for breath. He saw the strain in his eyes. He saw the agony in his face. He heard his breath as he labored to breathe. He heard his last words, it is finished. He saw his breath run out. He saw him pulled from the cross, dead, pulled off of those nails. He saw him wrapped and put in a grave. The light came to the darkness. The light came to a dark world. 
Oh, but he also knows. Three days later, darkness loses. He knows three days later that darkness is defeated. And he knows that three days later, the Lamb of God walks out of that grave and he's alive and he's victorious. And so he says, it did not overcome it. And by the fifth verse of this gospel, he can't help himself. He can't contain himself and he gives it away. The light prevails. The light wins. He is alive. He is alive. He's alive. Five verses in, that is our Jesus. Oh, he is God, and he is eternal, and he's co-equal with the Father. But listen, he is the light. He's the life of men, spiritual life offered to men, and he defeats darkness, and he is alive. That is our Jesus. The word of God, the light of men, in him is life. And he is alive. Let me make this practical. You sit here this morning and you hear that information. You sit here this morning and you hear that word that God has spoken. The revelation of Jesus, the message of good news. You hear that this morning. And you sit there and maybe you wonder, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why those particular things? Why do they matter? Let me ask you this morning. Who do you think can redeem eternity but an eternal Savior? Who do you think has the power to make all things new but the one that made all things in the very first place? Who do you think has the power to save, the power to give eternal life to those that will believe, but our eternal God, life himself, the light of the world, our eternal Savior, Jesus. That's why it matters. The truth matters because the truth saves. You won't find salvation anywhere else. You won't find salvation anyone else. Only the truth Jesus saves, and we have our truth. Jesus saves. Friends, that is our Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and we're thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm blown away by this picture, Lord. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful when we would wonder, who are you? Why does it matter? You don't leave us to guess, you give us the truth. You don't make us wonder and put a puzzle together, you give us your truth. You tell us, in fact, Jesus, you are the truth. I pray that today upon the hearing of the good news, there is a Savior, he is alive. That those that don't know you would trust you today, a risen Savior, a hope that endures. Lord, I pray that they would trust you today. I pray for us that do know you that we would be so enamored by you, so astounded that we would walk out of here with hearts of worship and we would tell a lost world of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I'm like John. I'm so excited. The light shines, was not overcome. Our Savior lives. Lord, we give you this service. It's yours. Lord, we give you this time of invitation. It's yours as well. I pray that you would move, that you would work, that you would stir, that you would lead, that you would draw. I pray that you're honored in it. 
Lord, we thank you. We worship you. Now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation, a time to respond to the truth of God's Word. And that's why we have God's Word, that we would know Jesus, and that in knowing Jesus, we trust Jesus. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. We're sinners, all of us. Each of us, we've sinned. We've known what is right. We've done the wrong thing. We've been in the wrong. We've stayed there. We've sinned. And in our sin, we've earned a punishment. We suffer the consequences for that sin now, but that punishment coming is death. Separation for God for all eternity. The good news is we have a God that loved us, compassionate. Sends his only begotten son, Jesus, fully God. Humbles himself, comes as a man, lives with no sin that he might offer himself in the stead and the place of sinners. The cross of Calvary, there he goes, and he takes my sin and he takes your sin. He becomes that sin. He dies for us, paying the penalty, satisfying the record, the setting right the account with a holy God, paying what we could never pay. He settles it. Listen, it's finished in him. He's pulled off of a, of, of a cross and he's put in a grave. He's actually physically dead. The price is paid. And three days later, the greatest miracle, the greatest act of power, the greatest act of grace ever, he walks out of that grave and he's alive. And he's victorious and sin is defeated. The grave is defeated. And he stands as the risen Savior, our hope, our Lord, our King, Jesus. The Bible says if you'll believe that, if you'll trust that of him, if you'll turn to him leaving your sins, repenting and turning to him in faith, not of any work, not of something that you'd have to do. In the grace of a loving God, the Bible says, God says, you will be saved, forgiven, renewed, put in fellowship with the Holy God. Listen, that's available to you today. That's available to you today. That's offered in God's grace to you today. Only trusting, only trusting, Jesus saves. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed a believer's baptism. And I can't think of a more awesome time than these 100 days to say to what I want to testify to who Christ is and, and what I believe of him and who I am in him. And you come, it's not part of salvation, but it's a testimony to our great salvation. And you come and we'll set a date and it'll be a great day of celebration testifying to who our Savior is, Jesus. You come and we'll set a date. We'll take care of it. If you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here, I can't think of a better time than this 100 days to say, you know what, we're going to bond together and we're going to serve together and pray. And in great love, we're going to hold up the, the hope we have in Jesus. If you've prayed about it and God's led you here, you come as well. And together we'll serve him for his glory. Maybe you want to come and pray at an altar. What a great day to come and say, Lord, I, I trust you. I praise you. I worship you. Maybe you want to pray with me here at the front. I'm going to ask that no one stir about. I'm going to ask that no one head for an exit. This is truly the most important time of our service. I'm going to ask that you would pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, as we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.